It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. One place you can find out how to make better decisions about the monthly costs in your life, Clark.com. I'm proud of our team that works around the clock to bring you unbiased, unbought information into your wallet each and every day. Unfortunately, I need to talk about something that's a tough stat to relate. It's the lack of funds that most people approaching retirement have today. And the boomers that are, I'm the middle year of the boom. The boom was 1946, people born 46 to 64. I was born in 1955 and could be talking about your parents right now, maybe your grandparents who were in the baby boom, a lot dealing with severe financial insecurity as they approach retirement. Now, at the other end, I got great news about the opposite age group, and that is there's more and more effort to teach people when they're young about finances so you'll be in good shape now what i have to share with you is just facts okay there was a study done by transamerica that found that the average baby boomer has an amount of money saved going into retirement that will safely generate only $8,000 in a year to live on. $8,000. So that means you got whatever you got from Social Security. And most baby boomers have no kind of pension of any kind to draw on. That was pretty bad grammar, wasn't it? No kind of. Anyway, you ain't got no pension. How's that? (laughs) And so it creates hard choices. And you add on top of this, a lot of people got pushed out of their jobs earlier than they intended early in the pandemic with the employer-based age discrimination. And so it's a train wreck. You're young in retirement. You don't have a lot of money saved. What you got saved will generate about $650 a month to live on. And then you got that social security check. What's the answer? The answer is, if you haven't done it yet, don't take social security and get back to work. If you're physically able to, the most important thing to do is to get back to work. Because later in life, you're not going to probably be physically able to do that work, but you may need the money. So every additional year you work, particularly if you haven't taken Social Security, means that your Social Security check that you'll get rises 8% each year. And it's great because you stay out of Social Security's web for a good while. Instead of taking it 62, or if your normal retirement age is 66 years, two months, or 67, whatever, and you wait all the way till you're 70, the check you then get from Social Security is a whole lot larger 
I mean, huge amount larger and can provide for a lot more of life's basics than you could if you take it earlier. And yeah, it means you work longer. You're already, if you feel like you really need to be taking Social Security, work part-time up to the point where you're not going to punish yourself. You know, there's a limit each year on what you can earn. But while you're able, it's really good to work because if you've made it into your 60s, you the, the odds of the actuarial table say you're going to live into your 80s. That's a lot of time you got to pay for. A lot of time. And I promise you're able to get up and go a lot more at 63 or 64 then you're going to be at 83 or 84. So I'm not trying to sentence you to a work jail. <laughs> I'm trying to make sure that you are okay financially. And a lot of things happen in life. And, you know, those of us in the baby boom, early in our career, there weren't good ways for us to save for retirement. They didn't exist. We were in this odd middle place where the pensions were vanishing, lifelong employment with a single employer was going away. And we didn't have these tools to be able to save and invest. That's the advantage that people that are younger have now, is we've got these ways you can do it. And people hear the terms all the time, even if they don't know what they mean. You hear IRA, Roth IRA, you hear 401k, you hear 403b, you hear all these things. They're part of the vocabulary now. And if you want to know what they mean, you can go to Investopedia or you can go wherever. You can go to Clark.com and I'll walk you through how to set up a Roth IRA, where you should put the money, what kind of investments you should be doing, where you go that you won't get ripped off. I mean, this information is at your fingertips to use and put to work in your life. But as much as you may not want to think about if you're in your early 60s and you're ready to bag it all with work, if you don't have enough zeros in that money you've saved or what you've saved is zero, the other extreme, you really got to think about stretching your work time so that you are not facing impoverishment later in your years when you should really be enjoying yourself. Krista? Okay. Well, that was pretty depressing what I just talked about. Well, but it, you know, I think uh, we have to have a kick in the pants on these things. It's very important. So you taught me early on. Just don't even see it. Save first. So why do you still work? Because you're like Daddy Warbucks. You got so much money now. You could just be living on some Caribbean island now okay, or something. That's false. But I work because I love to work. And I really, and that's the truth. I love this job. You know that. I have a passion for it. And I'm also someone who likes to work. I've always been like that. So I don't see myself ever, you know, maybe I'll be volunteering one day or doing something different. But I like to be kind of busy, you know, so... All right, let's go to some questions. This is from Justin in North Carolina. With gas prices as high as they have been lately, I've been thinking about putting E88 or 15% ethanol at Sheets gas station into my gas tank. What does Clark know about this type of fuel? Is it safe like the pump says for cars 2012 and newer? So the expression is not E88, um, it's E15. 
there are brand names people are using, like calling it. I don't know where they came up with this regular eighty eight or something. Maybe it's yeah, that's maybe it's eighty eight octane or something. Been calling it unleaded eighty eight. Okay, all right, but uh, Sheets is a neat store, by the way. Anyway, so I know you love it. Uh, e fifteen is something that is extremely controversial among automobile manufacturers. Right now, you go to a pump, and most stations, it's going to be E10, 1% to 10% ethanol in the gasoline. And a lot of automakers are worried that regular use of E15 will harm your vehicle. People in the energy industry say that's baloney, that you're just fine with E15. There are even vehicles that are what are known as flex fuel vehicles that can run on something that you don't see a lot, E85, where it's up to 85% ethanol in the vehicle. And usually a vehicle with that, I think, has a yellow gas cap, I think is the universal symbol in the United States that a car can run on E85. E85 will be significantly cheaper than regular gasoline that will have the 1% to 10% ethanol. But you will have lower fuel economy. You won't go as many miles per gallon of E85. In addition, you put in E15, you'll have a slight decrease in the fuel economy of your vehicle with E15 versus E10. Um, It compensates in the price because the price of E15 is usually... Uh, I think about 20 cents cheaper a gallon, maybe, some 15, 20 cents a gallon cheaper. Uh, then there are stations that are doing completely the opposite. For people who are terrified of having any ethanol in their vehicle, they're buying ethanol-free gasoline, which is uh, surcharged. It's a pretty expensive price per gallon to buy it. So the question you ask, is it safe, like the pump says, I cannot answer that definitively because the automakers say one thing, the gas station operators say another, and now the feds are going to allow E15 to be sold around the country to deal with the war in Ukraine and the shortages of oil that's caused in the world as a way of reducing our overall demand for oil and turn regular gasoline and so this is going to be a choice more and more people are going to have to decide are they willing to put in e15 in their vehicle you can go read your owner's manual see if it says anything about the maximum amount of ethanol as a percent of a gallon of gas that your automaker feels is okay in your vehicle This is from Jay in California. My daughter is about to graduate from nursing school. I have about $3,000 left in a 529 plan, which she is the beneficiary. Her loans totaled $12,000. Can I use the 3K to pay down her student loan? You absolutely can. That used to be a no, and now it's a yes. It made no sense to people why it was a no. So the law was changed roughly three years ago, somewhere like that, that you could now use the 529 money to pay off student loans. It's a maximum of $10,000 you can use Thank to you. do that. Thank you, total. So you couldn't use it to pay down all 12000 If you had it, 
you can do 10,000 maximum. Thank you for reminding me of that. Sure. And this is from Chad in Florida. I need your help in selecting a credit card. We currently use the Discover It card, but I was hoping to switch to something that would give us some travel rewards as we really want to start traveling more. After reading the breakdown you have of the current travel cards on Clark.com, I do not think I will meet the spending threshold to make these work. Any ideas? I do have an idea, and that is Capital One has a card program, if you go look at their card choices, where you earn these points that you can, if you don't earn enough to use for travel, you convert them to cash back to you at an equivalent rate is what it would be for, so you're not discriminated against if you turn them into cash instead of using them for flying. And you can still earn a generous reward. Only about 1.5% cash back is what it works out to, as I recall. But you can look at that. But I really like the idea, if you don't have a high charge volume, to just do a credit card that gives you 2% cash back, like City Double Cash or something like that. And then you're going to have cash back that you can then use as a free agent to buy travel on whoever you want to fly on. Because truly, what I've said and what we've written also at Clark.com, unless you're doing really high volume charging on a card, you can't make the annual fee cards work that are the travel-related ones. You just can't get enough points to make the math work. Coming up, I want to talk about the math that every teenager, every young adult needs to know about money, and that is subtraction before you start spending. We're going to talk about that ahead. So earlier I talked about the difficult finances that the baby boomers face with not really enough money on average saved for retirement where they're really going to be short of cash flow to supplement whatever other sources of funds they have. And I think about my kids that are young. I mean, I've got one kid who's in her 30s, but the other two are still in school. And for both of them, the whole money equation moving forward is different because they are in an era where companies don't offer the pensions anymore and everything is thrown onto you. And as part of the whole paradox of choice, we have endless ways we can spend our money now. And there's this instant gratification thing that draws us to spending. And it's something we've got to break. And I know I like to pick on the banks a lot, but this is an area I can really pick on the banks. Every bank program that I've ever seen in the United States geared towards preteens and teens is all about teaching them how to spend money and get debit cards and stuff like that. Nothing is about the saving side. Well, you know how people always talk about, well, the schools should do it. Do you know schools are? Roughly half the nation states accounting for way more than half the population in the United States now require, for graduation, personal finance classes. And the kids learn the basics. And one of the things that was a big motivator for this is about the student loan thing. Because you don't want to learn about the student loan disaster 
by the school of hard knocks, when you're one of the people who is sitting there with a mountain of student loan debt. And this comes up all the time. People who benefit from having a significantly older brother or sister who burdened himself or herself with student loan debt, they learn from their school of hard knocks, the younger sibling learns. And people are more aware of it now. But one of the things that is fortunately part of a lot of these high school personal finance classes is educating the students, the high school students, usually so often they'll be juniors is when these courses are taught, about student loans so that they consider that when they're looking at the colleges they're going to go to. So they don't end up in a thing where they have that mentality. Oh, man, I got accepted to so-and-so. I just got to do it. And end up graduating with two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars in student loans. And how do you overcome that? I mean, really, it's so hard. But teaching kids the basics of personal finance at an age where they likely already have had a part-time job, and they're basically able to learn the stuff my kids got drilled into them just growing up in my household about spending less than what you make, about saving that money in retirement accounts, the beauty of Roth IRAs, how to pick one, all those things. This is great, important stuff. And however you learn it, if you are past the age, nothing like that was part of your school, and you're in this school of hard knocks, and you're trying to figure it out, in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, whatever it is, I want you to know it's really easy today to educate yourself and to get in the process of creating financial security for yourself, building for your future. And it's hard to know with these state initiatives if the curriculum is going to be poisoned at some point by industries that have vested interests, if the insurance industries, industry players, if the banks will get in there and really mess it up, mess up the curriculum. But if it's taught clean and straight, kids are going to learn so much that's going to prove so valuable to them all through the years going forward. And if you're a parent and you never learn this stuff and your kid comes home with one of these workbooks or textbooks for one of these courses, take a look at it. Sneak a peek. See what you might learn from it that could be really valuable to you. But know that I do the best I can, even though we're not an investing site at Clark.com, I do the best I can to teach the basics of investing. Wherever you go, you can learn that. Please learn how to take control and don't get taken advantage of. By the way, I saw a new study I read about in the Financial Times. The worst place that this study found to invest money is with any bank-related investment arm. I thought it would be a life insurer, but it was a bank-related investment arm. And why would that be? Because the banks tend to sell very high commission, very high expense investment products. 
they tend to have investment advisors who are not what's known as fiduciaries, people who do what's in your best interests. Be very wary anytime it's connected to a bank. You know, you've got three of the big players in the business all have their own connections to investment arms. You've got that at Wells Fargo, you've got that at Chase, and you've got it at Bank of America. Know that there are much cheaper options for investing your money than doing so with the investment arms of any of those three. I did not say that they are ripping you off. I didn't say that. But I said that you end up, I will say this, you will end up with a fraction of the money down the road if you are with a high-cost provider than if you're with a low-cost provider with the money you invest. And know that anytime you are with a commission salesperson, you are going to be paying huge expenses over time that affect so heavily how much money you'll have later on in life. But one thing you got to do, get saving, get investing, build that solid financial security for yourself. If you have a family for your family, so over time, you have more and more power and control and freedom when it comes to money in your life. Krista? This is from Bobby in Michigan. I have a MasterCard credit card, which I opened about three years ago. I've used it only twice. A notice was just sent to me that the company is closing out this account because of a lack of use, which I do not have a problem with. My question is, will this closure affect my credit score? It will affect your credit score, Bobby, and it will hurt you um, because it will affect the most important part of the effect is roughly a third of what makes up your credit score which is the percent of available credit you're using. By this line being closed, it's going to reduce your overall available credit and in turn will lower your credit score. So I don't like what this bank did that issued you this MasterCard. They didn't send you one of those probation letters that a lot of issuers do, which is, hey, start using our card or else. I mean, to just call the herd, not give you a chance to start being active with the card and kick you out harmed you and certainly doesn't help them. So what you need to do is before that account is closed, I need for you to do what I call the hopscotch. You need to open another card to replace that available credit room you had on that one and then use the card at least occasionally. If you're going to pick up a card, Bobby, get one of the ones that is a cashback card. I've got a list of really great cashback cards on Clark.com that will earn you up to 2% cashback on everything you charge. This is from Robert in Georgia. I have always taken your advice and never used my debit card for any kind of purchases due to the lack of consumer protection. A gas station offers $0.10 off per gallon as a discount if you link your checking account directly to their payment system, obviously to avoid credit card fees on their end. With gas at the price it is, I would like to take advantage of these savings. I'm unfamiliar with their security protocols that would ultimately be my only protection should their data become compromised. Would you suggest someone take advantage of these gas station programs? So $0.10 a gallon is not enough of a discount. Let's take the Sam's Club MasterCard. Don't know, Robert, if you're a Sam's Club member. So if you get their fee-free Sam's Club MasterCard, 
and you buy gas using it, you're going to get 5% back on every gallon you purchase. So gas right now, um, let's even be ultra conservative. Let's say you found gas at $3 a gallon. Let's just say that. So if you're getting 5% back, that is 15 cents. 15 cents. 15 cents. So you can outrun the 10 and still have the protection. Even if gas falls back to $2 a gallon, we'd like to see that, then you're still getting the 10 cents off with the Sam's Club MasterCard. Then you have all the protections of a credit card and you're not putting your checking account at risk. So setting it up as an ACH with a gas station, um, that's a little more risk than I'd be willing to take to save a dime a gallon. This is from Lindsay in Connecticut. I'm a 26-year-old teacher with a Vanguard 2060 Roth IRA and TIAA from school. I have limited funds to invest. My school will provide a 2% match for TIAA. Where do I put my available funds first? What is bad about TIAA? Can someone typically move out of them to another 403B and how? So, Lindsay, this is complicated because TIA... They don't like to be, they don't called, like to be called that. TIAA. <laughs> Much easier to say. Used to be considered to be the best provider of 403B plans in the United States. Under TIAA's current leadership, they neither are the bad guy nor the good guy. They have really great plans, and then they have really mediocre plans. They don't have any that get all the way to terrible that I've seen. I've been doing a lot of reading about this on a website. I'd like you to go check and see if they have information on your plan in Connecticut. It's called 403bwise.com, 403bbaker, 403bwise.com. This is an education and advocacy site for teachers who generally around the country are getting cheated to the end of the earth with their retirement savings in hideous, awful 403B plans. I'm hoping that you're in a good plan from TIAA, that the school district in Connecticut has a good plan from them, not a bad one. What makes a good plan? The total costs on that TIAA plan, including investment fees, should be less than one half of a percent. And that would be the level I would like, where with your Roth IRA with Vanguard, you're probably at under 0.1, one-tenth of 1%. But if the TIAA gets even to half a percent and there's no added junk fees, you're getting the 2% bonus of money put into your plan. But again, go study what you can learn on 403B-wise. You may even be able to send them a message, the, the advocates there, to find out what they know if you or what you should look for in the plan you're offered in the state of Connecticut. And while you're at it in the Congress, doing the reforms of retirement plans that are percolating right now, could we please eliminate the ripoffs of teachers in their retirement plans? It is unbelievable that our teachers that are so needed in the United States and so many school districts are begging for teachers, why do we then give teachers the worst retirement plans in America? Can you tell me why? Nope. I know the reason why. The reason why 
is the intense lobbying power of the life insurance industry that dominates teacher retirement plans. And they charge teachers, get this, up to 200 times the cost of what many of us pay in our own IRAs. Up to 200 times the cost. So a teacher putting in the same money as somebody in a regular good retirement plan, believe it or not, by the time they retire over a full teaching career, can end up only having a third the money to spend in retirement. A third of somebody who's in a low-cost plan. And I don't get it why the Congress listens to the lobbyists from the insurance industry instead of taking care of our teachers. We all say how much we value our teachers, but we don't prove it in our actions. It's our politicians' fault. It is your individual congressman's fault. It is your two senators' fault, not the Congress. It is your individual representatives who collectively have made this problem for the nation's teachers, and it's up to them to fix this. Enough said. And that is it (laughs) for this episode of the Clark Howard Show. Please visit us at Clark.com for money advice you can trust. Clark Deals, we got deals for you up to the minute. Deals that are real deals that can save you money. We are not going to waste your time. We are going to save you money. And that's at ClarkDeals.com. I didn't say ClarkDeals.com. You said ClarkDeals. At ClarkDeals.com. Thank you, Krista. Have a great day.